Good morning. Sorry, I'm fiddling with this. I'm trying to get in the right place. It's good to see you all this morning. And hello to our people on stream that aren't here with us in person, but you are with us. Let's get into it. You see it everywhere. You see it on clothing. You see it on jewelry. You see it in art. You see it on stained glass. You see it in every season. You see it on your favorite athlete's neck. You see it tattooed on the person in front of you in line. You see it on cars. You see it in bars. You see it in churches. You see it in the movies. You see it on celebrities. You see it on the Pope. You see it on politicians. You see it on felons. You see it in school. You see it at work. You see it everywhere. We're talking about the cross. It is everywhere. But what does it mean? How can something so prolific be so casually displayed? How, and it just seems that it's so seemingly that its power is ignored. Surely we aren't to blame. It must be something about the presentation of it or the icon itself that beholds the power to forgive and change lives, right? Wrong. The cross is so much more than we can ever imagine. Unfortunately, it may seem at times that the cross has uh, suffered something like radio syndrome where they blast something good across the airwaves until it loses its meaning and value. That's probably happened to your favorite song a time or two. The cross is prolific, but is it treasured? Today, we're going to listen to Psalm 22 and learn what it may mean to truly treasure the cross. Please open your Bibles with me to Psalm 22. This summer, as we've gone through the series of Treasuring God, and we've read through several different psalms, we've tried to, to be cognizant and to read portions of the psalms, but I'm telling you this morning, I cannot help myself. We're reading it all. Amen? These are God's words, and we have access to them somehow. Call it Gutenberg or something else. We have access to it all the time. But there's something to hearing God's word together. Amen? So I'm going to read all of Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish. My God, I cry out by day, but you don't answer. By night, but I by find no rest. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are 
the one Israel praises. In you, our ancestors put their trust. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you, they cried out and were saved. In you, they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man. I'm scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. Yet, you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast on you. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near, and there is no one to help. Many bulls surround me. Strong bulls of Bashan encircle me, roaring lions They tear their prey, open their mouths wide against me. I'm poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart's turned to wax. It's melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and glow over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garments. But you, Yahweh, don't be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly, help me, deliver me from the sword my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Yaakov, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him. And he has listened to his cry for help. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. And may your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him. Those who cannot keep themselves alive. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. Amen. Please say amen.
So be this, God. So be this. What can be said about what we find within this poem, this song, this cry? It's obviously a lament psalm, am I right? Felt a little bit of emotion within the words there. Just a little. And hopefully I was reading into them in the right way. Please read that on your own. It's a poem, and it shows us how to accept ourselves and whatever emotions we're feeling. This is what a lament psalm is. It shows us how to accept ourselves and whatever emotion, emotion we're feeling, how to approach God within that emotional state, and how to receive blessing and see truth through that emotional experience. Psalm 22 is also the experience of David or the experience of what some have called the righteous sufferer. It's the emotional experience of someone trying to partner with God by being a blessing to a world that doesn't bless back. And lastly, it's what we may call a messianic prophecy. That is, it displays what the life of the Messiah will be like. Humans, believe this or not, are no strangers to suffering. I hope you're the exception, but probably not. But we are strangers to suffering well. I think that we, right here, right now, maybe, might have some people that are suffering. I mean, within this room. I mean, if you look at other people, not just look up front, but look at other people, some of us in here might be suffering in different ways for different reasons because we're all different people. And that's exactly what we're going to approach today. How the cross shows us the way to righteous suffering. And this very well might be the worst sales pitch for a church in 21st century America. Come suffer well with us. (laughs) While Psalm 22 is absolutely about Jesus on the cross, It is not only about Jesus on the cross. It's for us, too. We need to learn from God, through David, embodied in Jesus, what it means to be a righteous sufferer and not a wounded martyr. Righteous sufferers are concerned with doing the will of bringing God's kingdom of peace to fruition by walking the path of justice, love, and compassion. Wounded martyrs are concerned with seeking justice for their hurts and building systems and cultures of comfort seeking. This passage shows us how to be the former and not the latter. Amen? Each week we've been blessed to hear from a different perspective on a psalm in a different way from different members. We thank you those of you that have shared with us, we thank you for being a blessing to us, sharing your insights and being vulnerable. Thank you. Many times it may seem that some of us are limited to sharing only during special events or holidays, but let us learn this summer what can happen when we strive to include the plethora of voices God has granted us within the Wichita Church. Amen? But in my bias... I must admit that today is my favorite sharer. Marissa. 
<laughs> Marissa's been part of the Wichita Church basically her, whole, her whole life, over 27 years since she was a wee little lass. She's been a disciple for 16 years. She served voluntar voluntarily in campus and youth ministry for nine years. Many don't know that. But it's not the numbers that tell the story. It's Marissa's gifts. It's her ability to articulate God's words to the people around her in her life. Having the pleasure of living with her and living with someone who has the spiritual gift of prophecy, that is articulating God's words, I can't tell you how many of my lessons that I've had the pleasure of sharing have come directly from her. <laughs> While may this, this may be the first time some of you have heard her share, I hope it won't be the last. So please open your hearts, ears, and Bibles as we welcome Marissa to share. Forgive my blushing. That probably will last the entire time. <laughs> so it's just how it's going to go. All right. So I want to start by saying that the cross is a topic that I believe many of us feel really strongly about. And that for many of us, even if everything else feels really, really difficult to treasure, the cross is what we cling to. So I'm going to do my very best to not be cliche. Um, and instead, I desperately hope to share of myself fully with all of you and wholeheartedly. And I'll just trust that God will work through that as he sees fit. Um, as my husband said, he's really good at teaching, in case you guys didn't know. <laughs> um, Psalm 22 is a prophetic of poetry and to anyone thank you who has read the biblical accounts of the crucifixion ooh, it is obvious that this passage points directly to that event it is astounding how much God knowingly experienced and is experiencing on our behalf in addition it is humbling to be reminded that this psalm was written well before the birth of Jesus, which is a miracle in its own right, and I wish I could go fully into that, but I won't because that's not what I'm talking about today. <laughs> um, but oftentimes, if I'm being completely honest, so many people have shared about their psalm that it was something that they felt connected to their whole life, and it's something they've always clung to, and I'm like, this one's hard for me to read. <laughs> the pain of all kinds, physical, emotional, spiritual, and please bear in mind that all of those are intricately intertwined. Yeah. To try and pick one out is more important, or any of that is folly. But the pain that is described in this passage is gut-wrenching. It is intentionally so. But <laughs> this psalm is incredible in its ability to help, I think, all of us, but for me, to realign. It parallels the suffering and the hope, setting them side by side. And in my opinion, that's the very power of the cross itself. 
when considering how I treasure the cross, uh, I felt like I was on this journey of going through all those pain points in my life and watching how they were being healed. So to be a little bit more specific, (laughs) treasuring the cross for me means that my desires have a place to rest. It means learning over and over and over again that if I receive nothing else for the rest of my life, that God's love is enough for me. I was very, I don't know, normal uh, and in the sense that I always wanted a husband and I wanted kids and I wanted to be a stay-at-home mommy and love them forever. So my big desires throughout my life. And then the first relationship, long-term relationship where I felt really loved, God said, hey, I need you to break up with that guy. And I was like, oh no, I'm on my journey to getting my first step in my life plan, you don't understand. And it was so hard. It was so scary. And then God brought Ethan. (laughs) And he knew better than me. Because I was going about it all the wrong way. And then we were blessed and I was pregnant And then I held my child's body in my hands, the first one. And then I waited four years (laughs) and tried again. And again, I held my child's body in my hands. And then (laughs) God gave us Ren. And you guys know her, she's amazing. Crazy, but great. Thank you. Um, And I was like, sweet. And I'm home. And I spent two not so blissful, but amazing years (laughs) at home with her. And then finances got tight. And it was time to go back to work. And I had to trust somebody else to take care of this sweet child that I fought so long to hold. And I had to go back to work. And I wouldn't trade any of it. Each time I put that bit of my desire out there, God has always given me more. Every single time. (sighs) Sorry. Oh, that was really unpleasant. In Matthew 6, it says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It does not say hey, you will magically feel amazing doing these things. If we are waiting to feel like it feels right, our heart is not where it should be. Our treasure is not where it should be. That's what I learned. In Psalm 37, it says, he will give you the desires of your heart. And the preface there is that your desires have to be in line with his. Yeah. <coughs> Sorry. Back to my other notes. All right, second. Treasuring for the cross for me means that my fears no longer have to be what drives me. 
that I do not need to succumb to a mindset of scarcity and viewing others as competition or building up my empire by pursuing my own benefit. I do not have to protect myself from others and their opinions and expectations of me are no longer a burden that I have to bear. That I can set down the weight of how things should be. That I do not need to feel the pressure to have it all together or to know all of the correct answers. Can I tell you that one still hurts? Because even among believers, I have felt belittled, devalued, I've been accused, dismissed, and questioned. I have outright been told that I need to be doing more. The day I was supposed to be baptized, and I say supposed to be, because it didn't happen that day. I was told that I, I would not be because I hadn't proven I was ready. I was still too shy. I wasn't sitting up front. I hadn't invited people to church. I was 14. Teens, I want to pause here. I want to tell you something really important. I am so sorry. In many ways, we have failed you regarding this aspect of the cross. In many ways, we have contributed to placing the opinions of others on the throne versus God. In many ways, we have become more like the Pharisees, valuing doing versus being, and talking more about avoiding sin than we do about experiencing and extending grace. We have, incre we have created an environment where many of you have shared, you have feel you have to be perfect, that you have to fix yourself before you can study, or that you don't have a place or voice within the church. For the ways that I have contributed to this or modeled it, I am so sorry. That is not what God calls us to. Instead, back to my notes, apologize. In John 10, it says that he came to give life and life to the full. In, depending on where you want to go, if you want to keep it Old Testament or New Testament, it says that God says it is mine to avenge, so I don't have to. In Matthew 11, he says, my yoke is easy. How often do we make it harder than God makes it? Because of the cross and the way that I can treasure it is that I can give love freely. I can be a blessing without hesitation and live sacrificially because the creator's love goes before me. Because that love isn't mine. It was given. I do not get to or have to determine who is worthy. When I said Jesus is Lord, I committed to an ever-dying status. In Luke 9, Jesus said whoever wanted to follow him had to deny their self, to take up their cross daily and follow him. In Galatians 2, he said, it is not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. 
And in 1 John 4, it says, we love because God first loved us. We can cheapen the cross when we limit its power to only the forgiveness of sin and separate it from lordship. I beg of you to consider what it looks like because if it is only about wiping the slate clean, we miss out on the fact that Jesus is, was, and will forever be the purest example of fully loving God and loving others. And by choosing to participate in that death, by putting to death all those parts of us that desire to sit on the throne, can you tell I like that phrase? I've used it a couple times. Of our own lives, which is a process, it is an unfolding. We have the opportunity to choose again and again and again the truth, capital T, and the freedom to do the same. Thank you. These tissues are for me because you had me crying. But powerful words, real words. Thank you, Marissa. Did you catch what she said? We can cheapen the cross when we limit its power to only the forgiveness of sins and we separate it from lordship. Say it again. It's being recorded. This is the way of the wounded martyr. Isn't it? The one who declares spiritual bankruptcy out of desperation only to slowly accumulate their own personal wealth again over time. This is not the way of the righteous sufferer, the Messiah, the way of Jesus in Psalm 22. Let's go to Romans. Ken brought up Romans earlier. That was not planned. Just so everyone knows, that's the spirit at work. But we're going to Romans. Romans 5 and 6 reflects on this lesson of the cross, this lesson of suffering, and it guides us as we commune before God and we think about what the cross means for us, what it means for the world. So if you go to Romans 5, in the first five verses there, it says, Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but listen to this, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. What a callback to last week with David. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit and has been given to us. With the wounded martyr, they have no perseverance, no character, no hope. But the righteous sufferer does. And if we take a field trip back to Psalm 22 and verse 25, remember that it said, from you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly, the church. If 
Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. And may your hearts live forever. We know we are suffering well when we are led to a place of patience, humility, and hope. How are you suffering this morning? Weird question. But maybe the most relevant question we need. We cannot get there by lambasting one another about sin over and over, as Marissa said. Therefore, let's go to Romans 6. You have no idea how hard it is for me to not just read all of Romans 5 and 6 right now. But in Romans 6, it carries on this idea of the cross, of suffering, and the role of sin within the world. And in verse 8, it says, Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. We know that since Christ was Uh, that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. We go, oh, yeah, yeah, but wait, we still want to, we got to talk about sin and we got to make sure we're not sinning. Yes, we get it. Read Romans 6. But he died to sin once for all. The life he lives, he lives to God. So remembering the cross, treasuring the cross, carrying your cross, suffering is not about managing your sin. Your sin has been managed. Rather, remember the cross. It's a beautiful symbol, signal, reminder to the person who desires to fulfill the mission of the kingdom. To know that suffering will come, and it is the key. The cross is the key to living a new life, a life for God and others. And it proclaims to the world, he has done it. Amen. Let's pray and let's commune together. Our God, we come before you. We remember your name. You are God Almighty. You are who you are. We find our security in you. We can place our trust only in you. And at times, God, in life, it feels like, it feels like you're not there. It feels like things are going wrong at every turn. It feels like no matter how much we try to partner and be a blessing, it's not working. But God, you are there. God, it's those moments, it's that suffering. If we remember you, if we look to Jesus, if we follow in his footsteps, if we we follow in the way of the cross, it brings us to new life. It brings us to the truth, capital T. It brings us to freedom. And we know, God, that you are there, you are at work. We know the cross wasn't just for Jesus, it's for us. It's a life. Father, help us to suffer well. Help us to be like Jesus. Help us to get all else out of the way. And it's in his 
beautiful name that we get to pray to you, God. Amen.